Uh, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome to Grace Point Church this morning. Thank you for joining us online, or if you're listening to this podcast later, thanks for doing that. Boy, I really wish every week we could just be together in person, but um, you know, thank you for your patience and for your perspective and your perseverance during this time. It's hard. Um, I have my ups and downs, and I know you do too. Uh, but thank you for persevering, for continuing to do your part during this season. As a church, we're continuing to talk about and try to plan for the best that we can do uh, to get back together as safely and as soon as we can. So, in the meantime, in the meantime, this will have to do, but I just want you to know we're looking forward to being together again as soon as we can. Uh, well, you have found us in part five of a series that we're calling Disrupted. And I hope it fits well for you right in this season that we're in, because my life, and I'm sure yours too, has been disrupted. And we're talking about how to keep going when it feels like life isn't. And I know for some of you seniors especially, man, I'm just sorry for all the, the loss that you're experiencing right now, uh, graduation and prom and, and all that. Um, that's a real loss and it's a real hurt. So I just want to acknowledge that and give you my love and, and let you know you're not alone. Um, and there's so many who feel that way with you. But this is the way, this is the world we now live in, isn't it? We're disrupted. And things are not normal at all in just four or five short weeks. You know, one of the things that isn't normal is the fact that I have a roll of toilet paper here, um, you know, on a, on a Sunday morning talking with you. Who would have thought I'd be using a roll of toilet paper as a, you know, as a prop? Uh, but this roll of toilet paper teaches me something, and hopefully it can be helpful for our conversation this morning. The roll of toilet paper teaches me about my needs versus my wants. Uh, you know, for me, uh, what I need and what I want, I often get confused. Um, the, the line between them can be kind of thin sometimes. But the truth is, uh, what I really need is really minimal. What I need for survival is food for today, enough to drink, and a really basic shelter. I mean, I, I won't be comfortable in a, in a real basic shelter. I'll be cold or hot or wet or whatever, but you know, I, I have enough. Those are my needs. Uh, but what I want, I want toilet paper, right? Like I want to live indoors. I, I, want to, I want to have my ice cream. You know, I want to have my kind of bread when I go to the store. My, my wants are regularly outpacing my needs, and I think yours are too. That, my wants go about here, and my needs are about here, and once I get to my wants, I realize that I have more wants than that will extend beyond the wants that I thought I had. You know, wants are kind of like that. They keep growing, even though sometimes you, you, know, you get them. So this toilet paper kind of reminds me of that, and, and today I want to talk about this tension here with wants and needs, and what can happen in the world that we're in right now, in this disrupted world, is when we don't get what we want, and we struggle with that, and our, our wants outpace our needs, we can kind of long for the things that we don't have, and we can think that we need our wants, and the, the gap between where I am and where I want to be is, is a gap that is just full of um, an invitation for envy and jealousy. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, envy and jealousy. Envy and jealousy are sound the same, but they're actually just a little bit different. Um, envy is actually wanting what someone else has, and jealousy is wanting to protect what I have. Envy is when I envy your toilet paper roll, and jealousy is when I feel like I need to protect mine. Uh, maybe it's better even explained in the context of relationships, if there's a dating relationship. Envy is when a girlfriend is jealous, or excuse me, envy is when a girlfriend wants another boyfriend. 
that other guy looks better. But jealousy is when a girlfriend is, is wanting to protect her, her man, her guy, from anyone else ever talking to, to him. Uh, it can work both ways, of course, between boyfriends or girlfriends, but that's the point, that, that envy is wanting something that someone else has, and jealousy is wanting to protect what we have. The problem with jealousy, of course, is sometimes we think that we possess what we don't actually possess. While I might possess toilet paper, I don't actually possess people in relationships, but sometimes I can fall into that, that category. So why is it important for me even to talk about this and what's in it, if you will, for you? Why is it important for you to consider this during this season? Here's what I think, two things. Number one, um, envy and jealousy, if we don't get a handle on it, I'm afraid for you that, that envy and jealousy, when gone unchecked, it can actually squeeze the life out of the very things that you want in your life, in relationships, in faith, in your future. For example, I had a relationship with someone, and um, and as they were, you know, as we were engaging, just hanging out and, and living life together, they would want to to get together with me and and you know with our family, and and I would tell them sometimes I just couldn't do it. We we can't meet during this time. I can't come over, and it's not going to work for us to do this event. And and sometimes I'd give a reason, and sometimes I just said, man, it's it's a full week, and we're not able to do it. It's kind of beyond my capacity. We've been out, you know, three four nights a week or whatever, and we just can't do it. What I felt like I had to do in that relationship was justify my reasons for not hanging out with them. It's as if it had to be good enough for them. And what I realized is they're actually jealous of my time. Like they, they almost felt like they possessed me. And the things that I did outside of a relationship with them felt to them um, as if it was threatening their possession of me in my relationship. And what it made me want to do is push back from that relationship. I mean, it's not very life-giving. And so I kind of began to create some distance because I didn't want that. And that made it, of course, worse. And then they wanted it more and I wanted it less. And jealousy and envy, when we don't see it, will squeeze the life out of the very thing that we want. It's a classic problem with overparenting, and you've probably seen this as well as I have, that parents love their kids so much and want the best for them, but sometimes we can squeeze too tight. We can kind of be jealous and think that we possess our children, that we possess them as if we own them, and we want them not to be hurt and not to be in pain, and so we're jealous for them. You know, we, we want their time with us, and we want them to be close to us, and we get jealous if sometimes they're spending time with friends or um, doing activities instead of being being with us. I mean, that can happen in any relationship. So envy and jealousy, first of all, if unchecked, can actually squeeze the life out of everything that you want and you love the most. But secondly, envy and jealousy, um, if we see them, if we recognize these moments in our heart, like for me, when I walk into the grocery store and there isn't toilet paper, or there's not the ice cream we want, or there's not the bread that I like, I have a little moment of sadness. What it actually is, if I dig down a little bit further, is there's actually a piece of envy to that. I envy the person who got to the store before me and took all of my toilet paper. I want what they have. And what it actually is teaching me is that I love something in that moment more than I love God. It's teaching me that I want a little bit of heaven, my wants, right now. Not my needs, but my wants. And I envy the person who got there before I did. And so envy and jealousy and just the moment that they pass through our heart can be a gift to us to teach us where these little false gods come into our heart and come into our life. 
So this is why I think it's worth your time looking at envy and jealousy during the season to see where it shows up in your heart and to allow it to teach you, allow it to teach me, how we can understand God's jealous love for us and what that means and how we can respond to that. So in order to do that, I want to just say one last thing and then I want to jump into a passage of scripture with you. My hope for this morning is that we can see that envy and jealousy at its worst drive us away from God, but at its best can actually drive us right to him. And so I want to explore that with you. I want to explore that through the pen of a religious leader in Israel whose name was Asaph. In Psalm 73, a psalm, it's in the middle of your Bible, but Psalm 73 is, again, a poem that Asaph wrote um, one day in the ancient history of Israel. And he was just writing out his thoughts and feelings about what he was seeing related to the topic we're talking about today. And so if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn there, or if you're watching uh, online on Sunday morning, you'll see a Bible tab, and you'll see some of these verses showing up on the screen here as well. But Psalm 73, Asaph begins writing, and he writes in verse 1, and, and what I think he does is he sits down to write about this tension that he's feeling, and I, and I think he kind of writes down his ideal or his hope. Like, have you ever woken up, for example, in the morning and felt like, boy, I'm feeling discouraged, I'm feeling maybe depressed, it's another day in this stay-at-home period, and it's I'm just down. And then you want to remember a value or a priority that will keep your heart and mind in the right place. You're not quite sure your heart has caught up to your brain yet, like you want to remember that God is good, but right now you feel you know, abandoned or separated from Him, but you want to remember that. And I think that's what, what Asaph is doing. In verse 1, he begins... And he says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. To me, this is his controlling idea for his whole poem here, but it makes me feel like he's trying to convince himself that this is true. But I do love the way it starts. The first four words to me are the most important in this whole thing. Surely God is good. Surely God is good. It's as if he's telling himself, reminding himself, yes, the God I know is indeed good. But then, the next two verses, he immediately turns as a contrast in verse 2. But, he says, as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. What's he saying? He's saying, I think God is good, but I'm about to lose my faith on that issue. I can't stand on that with surety. Like, God is good, but I'm about to slide off of that platform. I think I'm losing my confidence that that is actually true. Why? Look at verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Why is he sliding off? Why is he losing his faith? Because envy has gotten into his heart, and he's seeing the prosperity of the wicked. He's looking around and seeing people who are thumbing their noses at God and saying, God doesn't matter, he doesn't count, I don't need to yield to him or submit to him, and their lives are getting along quite fine, thank you very much. Why would they need to yield to God if they can get on this earth all the things that they have? That's what Asaph is reacting to, and he looks at it, and he's honest, and I love his honesty. He envies it. He wants what they have. And he describes them here in the next, next couple of verses. He says, They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. 
They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human life. Have you ever kind of, if we're honest, have you ever thought about people in that way? Have you ever gone through social media and felt like, I think these people have no struggles. I think that they are free from the burdens that are common to man. You know, I read an article just today about a um, about how the rich have to decide. I think the titling was "The Rich Have to Decide If They're Going to Keep Their Staff Living in Their Home or Have to Do Ordinary Chores Themselves." And I thought, man, what a struggle! What a struggle! You know, boy, are we going to keep our wait staff here, or are we going to have to learn how to do the dishes on our own, right? And it's almost as if you look at the wealthy in this category and you say, the the burdens common to man aren't touching them. It is as if they're free from this. And look at the way he describes it in verse 12. He said, this is what the wicked are like, always carefree, they increase in wealth. They don't have a care in the world and their money increases. Like things are going really, really well for them. You know, I saw a video, maybe it was on Instagram or Facebook, I forget where it was, of someone playing um, a game, a common kids game, where they move from place to place in their house and try not to touch the floor as if the floor is lava. And so they make this long video of them going through their whole home and it takes about three and a half minutes of getting through their this this massive home and they end up you know on their indoor grill their outdoor grill over a marble countertop and over this massive table and into the extra sunroom and then outside and then over a um, like a portico and then he finishes by getting into his speedboat that just happens to be attached to the pier that's attached to their house I'm thinking, well, sure, we can all relate to that, right? <laughs> no, we can't. We can't. Because it almost feels like sometimes when we see people, and we see wealth like that, we think they're not burdened by that which is common to us. And there are times, if we're honest, where we feel like, I wish that I had more resources. And I, I just wish that I had at least some of that. It's like a taste of heaven, and I wish I could have it here right now. And there's a part of us that just kind of wishes that we had more of what we want, not what we need. And then he goes on to describe how it impacts him. He says in verses 13 and 14, he says, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. He says, All day long I have been plagued and I have been punished every morning. He's doubting that it's been the right thing to do to still yield to God and submit to God. He's doubting it. He's saying, it's been a waste of my time to keep my heart pure, to, to do the right things, to think the right thoughts. All day long, I've been plagued and I've been punished every morning. It's almost as if he's saying, listen, I wake up in the morning, I scroll through my feed and I see the people again. I go to work and I see the people who have more than me. I listen to the complaints and I realize you have so much more than I do and it just beats me down every morning. I look in the mirror and I weigh more than I want to. I wish my face were different, my hair were different, whatever it is was different and I'm punished by it every morning. I just wish things were different and that's how he's feeling and I love his honesty with it and I wish we could be as free with it with one another. Yes, there are times that you, there are times that I envy that. I wish we had more resources. Maybe you wish you had more resources. Wouldn't it be easier, especially right now, if you didn't have to worry about losing your income? Wouldn't it be easier if you knew that there was going to be enough supplies in the store for you? 
Wouldn't it be easier if you didn't have to be anxious about paying your rent or paying your mortgage? Wouldn't that be easier? Of course it would be. Of course it would be. And so there's a part of us that's envious. And it's a part of us that's jealous about what people have and wants to keep what we have to ourselves. So that's how Asaph is feeling until verse 17. Verse 17 is the hinge or the turn in his poem. He says there, I felt all of these feelings until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. So it's as if he goes to meet with God. It's as if he's laid his feelings out before God and said, this is how I feel, and then he goes to meet with God, whether that's in prayer, whether that's in meditation here on the scriptures. I don't know how he does that, but in this meeting with God, he begins to see and understand again that he that there's a final destiny to these folks that is different than maybe what he's seeing. Verse 18 describes it. He says, Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. And he goes on to describe that more in the psalm, but what he's saying is, God, I need to remember that the arrogant and the prideful you cast down to ruin. Let me be clear, he's not comparing people who are wealthy to those that God cast out. Please let me be clear about that. Wealth is not the problem. Wealth is not the issue. Having things is not the problem. Having material possessions is not the issue. That's not it at all. Throughout this psalm, the issue is the character of the heart, and it is, it is the poverty of the heart, if you will, that is the pride, it is the arrogance that says, I don't need God because I have all that I need. And so that is the issue that, that Asaph is looking at. So he says, those people who are pride, prideful and arrogant and don't need God, those are the ones that you cast down to ruin. He said, I need to remember, God, that you see that their lives are kind of like a fantasy. They're a, a breath in the wind. You are an eternal God. I need to remember these things. And then his psalm finishes, it concludes in a beautiful way, in a summary verse to help us understand how it concludes and where he lands is verse 26. He says, as he's wrapping it up, he says, My flesh and my heart may fail. And by the way, mine do a lot. But, he says, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's saying, my flesh and heart may fail. I want, I want not to be envious. I want not to be as jealous. But I'm going to fail at that. But... When I do fail at that, allow my failure to drive me back to the sanctuary of God. Allow that failure to drive me back to see what God is doing and realize that God is actually the strength of my heart. Not what others have or what they own being the strength of my life. And he's my portion forever. And this is a beautiful way to put it. This is a beautiful way to picture what's happening with envy and jealousy and how we see the people and the relationships around us. So envy and jealousy at its worst, as I said at the beginning here, will drive us away from God. It'll make me look at other people and wish I had something else and take my eyes right off of God. And jealousy will make me want to protect what I have. But envy and jealousy at its best, and particularly jealousy at its best, will actually drive me to God. It'll drive me back to the sanctuary of God. It'll allow me to to kind of lay out my emotion and feeling to God and say, God, this isn't fair. I'm about to lose my faith on this piece. I don't think it's worth it anymore. I'm weak. I need help. And then allow your mind and heart to revisit and reconnect with God in the sanctuary there and say, God, you are my refuge. You are my refuge. 
and strength during the season. So the reason why that matters and the reason why this can work and the reason why I say that, that there can be a good side to jealousy and envy, actually really just a good side to jealousy, is that, that God himself it describes himself as a jealous God. I love that. In Exodus 34, verse 14, he says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. I love that. And what a challenging thought, though, isn't it? That God is saying that just like love is a part of my character, and grace and forgiveness and mercy are all a part of my character, jealousy is a part of my character, too. We have to think about a God who is jealous and loving and gracious and forgiving and all these things. But what does that even mean? How can God be jealous? Isn't jealousy wrong? Isn't it wrong to want to be jealous or to have the feelings of jealousy? And I would say it is absolutely not wrong, depending on where it directs our heart. God's jealousy both um, protects us and um, pursues us. Protects us and pursues us. God wants a relationship with you and wants a relationship with me that is exclusive. And jealousy says, in that relationship that's exclusive with me, I'm going to fight to protect that. I'm going to want to keep you. I'm going to keep you from being distracted. I'm going to want to keep you from being, from you know, falling away in what you see. I'm going to want to keep you on this path, and I'm going to fight for that. And there's a jealousy of that relationship. A, a beautiful image of that is a, a strong marriage relationship. You know, in a, in a marriage relationship where there is an exclusivity to that relationship, it is right for a, a spouse to feel jealous if there's someone else who comes into that relationship. That feeling of jealousy is right. Why? Because it is a commitment of one to the other, and that jealousy fights for the right um, expression of that relationship. Like the husband, if he feels like the wife is going somewhere else, and the wife feels like the husband, if there's a jealousy that's stirred up in there, that is right to feel that jealousy and react to it because that jealousy keeps us going in the way that that relationship was made to be. And so when I think about the jealousy of God, his jealousy is meant to confront us, but not to harm us or destroy us. It's meant to confront us and say, listen, I, I want you more than you want the things that you think you want. In other words, I was thinking about this phrase this week. Thinking, you know, I want, and I took, <laughs> took my toilet paper in my mind, and I want my bread, I want my ice cream, I want the things that I want, I want um, certainty about the financial future, and, and so do you, I'm sure. But, you know, imagine this phrase, like, I want whatever, fill in the blank. I want to graduate from high school. I want to know what's going to happen in the fall. Like, I want to know if I'm going to have an income again. I want whatever, I want the rest of that phrase, imagine being this, I want whatever, but God wants me more. I want this, but God wants me more. I want this, but God wants me more. That's the jealousy of God. There are times when I'm kind of stirred up for wanting something beyond my needs, and that stirring of wanting something, kind of wishing that I had that, can remind me that I'm made in the image of a God who wants me even more than I want the thing that is right in front of me. For me, uh, one of the thing that has been, things that has been most helpful is asking a diagnostic question for myself here during this season. And as I think about the comparison of envy and jealousy, right? at the beginning I said that envy 
is wanting what other people have, and jealousy is wanting to protect my own things. And so whenever I feel envious, if I know that you have toilet paper, and I don't, I will say this, it's always wrong to feel envious. It's always a wrong feeling to want what someone else has. That's never really justified. We feel it, right? We feel it and we need to confess that and kind of get our heart and mind in the right spot. But envy never leads to healthy things. There isn't really a healthy side to envy. But there can be for jealousy. They're different. Jealousy um, can drive us to do two different things. And here's the, the reason I bring that up. Here's the question that I ask myself and I want to encourage you to ask yourself this question. Does my jealousy drive me to bless or possess? Does my jealousy drive me to bless or possess the person or thing that I am feeling the jealousy toward? Does my jealousy, does your jealousy drive me to bless or possess? Think about it in the context of a marriage relationship. If you're feeling jealous in your relationship with your spouse, do you see them as someone that you possess, that you want to kind of control, you want to keep together? Or does your jealousy, as you think about, you know, I wish we could talk more. I wish we could spend more time together. I wish we could really engage at a deeper level. If there's a jealousy there that says, I want kind of more than what I'm getting right now, does it, does it make you move toward your spouse with harm and, and uh, kind of constricting that relationship and squeezing that down, possessing as if I possess that person? Or does it desire to say, I want to bless them by loving them enough to say, I want this and I want to kind of warm their heart to this space. I want to gradually, lovingly, and humbly come and, and work with them that our relationship can be blessed, that we can be stronger and better in the relationship we share. You know, think about it with maybe your children. Does your jealousy for your children's attention or their love for you, does it make you want to bless them or possess them? Are you able to be free to release them as children to be who God is leading them to be? Or do you have jealousy and fear kind of mixed together to say, I really want them with me more? And does your, your jealousy for them make you want to bless them or possess them? Same thing in business with how you see your money, with how you see um, you know, the ownership of your company or how you're working with your employees. This kind of a jealousy for that everyone would work for the company's bottom line. Everyone would work for the mission of this company and my company. Does that jealousy move you to bless or possess? If it moves you to bless, you have an interest in caring for your employees and giving them and freeing them to be the best that they can be, to understand who they are before God and to submit yourself to God. If it makes you desire to possess them, it makes you more of a controlling boss, one who squeezes the life out of them even as you desire to get the best out of them. And so as I think about envy and jealousy during this time, envy is never helpful, it's never healthy, but jealousy can be if it's routed in the right direction, if it moves us to bless and not just possess. You know, Asaph began his poem by saying at the beginning, surely God is good. And again, I do believe that he was trying to, to write this to keep himself oriented to what he knew was true. I loved in that poem, in that psalm, that he was honest with it though. God is good. And then immediately he says, but I envied these people. 
And maybe you need to do that too. Maybe that's a part of your processing of this pain that you're in right now. You might just need to write that down. You might need to just say that out loud to God. You might need to pray that to him to say, God, I think you're good, but right now I'm envious of the people who have more space, more opportunities, and they seem like they're making it through this. I wish I had more. That's what Asaph did. Why not? And then he comes back. He comes back to the sanctuary of God. He comes back to God's character. And he says, God, you are my flesh, my soul, my, you know, I'm weak. I'm frail. I'm broken. But you, you are the strength. You are the strength of my life. And so this is the call of a jealous God who wants an exclusive relationship with you, who has marked us with some jealousy, has given us part of his image to draw us back, even in the times of jealousy and envy that we feel now, to know him and to feel this protective, pursuing, nurturing love of God, even in the middle of the struggle and the disruption of this life that we're in right now. And so my hope for you, my hope for you, is not that you will feel less or you will desire less. I don't want you to feel less. I want you to feel more. I want you to be in tune with what you feel, that the feelings that you have will help you see how you're made in the image of God, that he has is drawing you to know him, even, even through jealousy, even when you miss the things that you wish you had. That in those moments, you can talk to God about that, settle in, ask him to help you bless and not possess, admit your struggles, and find your strength in the character and the love of a God who does indeed love you. Well, next week in part six of our series, we're going to be talking about um, another um, relationship, that another um in a way that jealousy can show up and can show up with this idea of abandonment and despair. And if you felt abandoned or feel despairing at all during this season, I'd love to have you come back as we're going to look at another psalm and consider how God teaches us who we are through that passage of Scripture next week. So I look forward to having you. Will you pray with me this morning? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time to be together, even virtually this morning. And I do pray for us as people that we could be um, continuing to be very honest with you about what we feel and what we sense during this time, that you would also help us to hold out some ideals that we continue to try to reach for while we come under your rule and under your care and under your love. And so I, I pray that you would help us when we feel these, these moments of jealousy and envy, You'd help us to remember how to bless and not possess the people, the relationships, and the opportunities that are right in front of us. Give us the strength that we need to do the things that we need to do during this season, during this week, during this day today. We pray for your help in your direction, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.